breaking news from The Athletic. We have a trade at the winter meetings. Late on Monday night, the details leaking out. I'm Tim McMaster, along with James Feagan, our White Sox reporter at The Athletic, and Levi Weaver, who covers the Rangers for us. The White Sox get Lance Lynn from the Rangers. A couple of prospects go the other way. Dane Dunning, an older prospect, and then Avery Weems head back to Texas. Let's start with the big piece in this deal. 34-year-old Lance Lynn reunited with Tony La Russa. James, where does he fit into that rotation in Chicago? I mean, the the reason for getting Lynn basically played out in Game 3 of the wildcard series is Oakland, where the White Sox had these two guys they trust at the top of the rotation, Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel, and then they didn't really have anybody they felt like they could turn to in a critical situation. They wind up putting Dane Dunning because, you know, as a promising prospect, he was the best guy they had, but they really didn't trust him. They pull him in the first inning, they go with this bullpen game that, you know, devolves into a quagmire that everyone's embarrassed by the manager gets fired it, it's we'll be talking about like how much game three changed the calculus they're thinking for a long time um so lance lynn is kind of the answer to that he's a guy who has gotten cy young votes both of the last two years uh very proven uh has a lot of playoff experience from you know geez for playing under tony Russa nine years ago and can kind of be this guy at the hand to game three where now they have three you know, front-end starters that they feel very confident with in any big series or any playoff series. He kind of fills that need. It's interesting. You mentioned his age. He'll be 34 uh, in the middle of the next season. Um, he's only on a one-year deal. Previously, they've been all about years of control and um, their window and, and not doing, you know, rentals, quote-unquote. This kind of arcs a change of the guard a bit for them to do this and say that they have this level of urgency about the next season that they're willing to shed a very real asset in Dane Dunning for, for Lynn because they just felt they had that need. Levi, that contract for Lance Lynn is team-friendly um, because I think when he signed to go to the Rangers, um, he wasn't what he's been the last two years um, where he's really been um, one of the better pitchers in the American League. What did he do? to? Did it, it felt like he almost reinvented himself a little bit these last two years. What did he show you in Texas? Yeah, the the first five starts that he had with the Rangers were rough. I mean, his ERA was close to six. He was getting knocked around the park, and the um, the Rangers were trying to uh, to change their sort of pitch selection. They they you know, I, I still remember a conversation we had with Chris Woodward Woodward where he said we are basically the most predictable team in the league. Uh, we throw fastballs and fastball counts. We throw breaking pitches and breaking counts. And teams know what's coming. And Lance Lynn, I think, was chief among them. And so after those first five starts, you could see his pitch selection start to change. The analytics department. Um, I mean, here's the thing about Lance Lynn. Like, he finally grew the beard in 2020 that really, I feel like he assumed his true form. Because he's like that big... uh, Like, if he could throw 150 fastballs a day he would go throw 150 fastballs a day and then he would like go home and eat a hammer for dinner. Like he, he's just like that. He doesn't ever want to come out of a baseball game. He is kind of hard headed. And so for, a, you know, an, an analytics nerd to tell him, Hey buddy, how about you throw some more curveballs and changeups? Um, that wasn't going to set. Well, okay. Well, you, sucked for the first five games so maybe let's try it let's see how it goes and sure enough you know that the changing up of the pitch selection was quite effective he ended up in the top 10 in Cy Young votes and and part of it was maybe instead of all four seam fastballs we throw some two seam fastballs also um so yeah there was a compromise there but but yeah I mean more more breaking pitches and 
throwing more off-speed and breaking pitches in counts where hitters might expect a fastball. And, uh, and it was really effective. It's so effective, in fact, that his fastball started to play up again. And there were games where he would go out and throw 95% fastballs. But because the other team didn't know that it was coming, then you know, it was as effective as he wanted it to be. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that was, that was kind of the, the tipping point for him. My concern would be looking at the last month of last year because he was really good for July and August. After the trade deadline, he was very hittable. Um, so I don't know what changed. I don't know if he, I haven't actually looked into the numbers to see if he reverted back to fastball only. I don't know, but that's something the White Sox will, I'm sure, at least have a little bit of concern about until he actually gets out there and gets a chance to produce. Ken Rosenthal had a story, uh, has a story out today that the reason he wasn't dealt at the trade deadline is because he said he would opt out if he ended up getting traded to somewhere that he wouldn't want to be. Um, right. This seems like a good fit for him going back to Chicago. Uh, one more for you, Levi, first. It's it's a money saver, too, uh, for the Rangers, right? I mean, they're they're not expecting to contend in 2021. You have a guy on the final year of his contract making $10 million. You get some pieces back, which you're going to control for years down the road. It, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer for them to trade him in some way this offseason. This, this is a pretty good package. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, in the, those first, you know, July and August of, of last month, the Rangers were five and three in games that Lance Lynn started. They were seven and eighteen in games that he didn't start. He was, I think, I said in the story that he was basically trying to swim to shore with an entire sinking ship on his back. What what was going to be the best case scenario if he stuck around for another year, right? Like maybe he goes out and wins twenty games, and the Rangers are seventy and ninety-two. You know, like there there was no benefit whatsoever to having him on the team. If the direction was, and it is, to rebuild and lean into a youth movement, for them to get a, a kid that's 25 years old that is a fairly legitimate prospect, and then a, you know another prospect to to dream on with uh, with Weems is, I, I think it's a good deal. And and hearing the story from from Rosenthal this morning, that really does explain why they didn't trade him last year. Yeah, everyone was so perplexed and how. How could they possibly? It was the same situation last year. Everybody knew the Rangers were bad. Why are they keeping him around? And you know, John Daniels said, you know, I would have been disappointed if I took any of the deals that we were offered. I think the fans would have been too. I don't think that's the case now. I think Rangers fans can look and go, hey, we had to trade the guy. Everybody in the league knew we had to trade the guy. So to get something in return, rather than just you know all of the other teams stonewalling and going, I'm not going to give you anything either. I know you have to trade him. Uh, yeah, I think you got to take that as a win if you're a Rangers fan. It's not it's not an immediately satisfying win. You're still going to be really terrible in 2021, but but it's good for the long term. James, you mentioned that the White Sox weren't confident in Dunning in that game three. What is the upside though on Dunning if he kind of realizes the potential coming out of Florida? I believe. I guess the potential would be that maybe a couple of years down the road, I wouldn't say it's unreasonable that Dunning would ever start at game three of a, a playoff series, but that's like the, the max outcome, and that's like an uncertain road for him. He's kind of like this romantic conception of a back-end starter where he has this long history of strike throwing. He has this very varied arsenal that he'll throw. He has a, a lot of deception. Um, he'll kind of die on his shield any given start. He, he will, If he loses, it's from hitting getting hit hard because he attacks people in the zone, and, and, and you know he doesn't pitch himself out of games and stuff like that. He's a good competitor as they might say um but without that overpowering stuff i you know 
I've heard reports of him hitting 96 in his prospect days. I've been covering for four years now from A-ball to the majors, and I have not seen him throw harder than 94 at any point. Um, he kind of has to switch up his arsenal between lefties and righties because neither one is really bulletproof against the other side. Like He even changes his arm slot from, from one to the next, becoming a, a four-seam curveball guy against lefties, where he's a sinker slider change guy against um or maybe the changes to lefties. Yeah, Levi can figure it out. It's his job now. Right. Um, but the whole thing is he has like all these kind of tricks of the trade and pitchability that he gets through, uses to try to get through a lineup uh, multiple times. And he, because he could execute that, that plan to such a level that he can kind of maybe give you three starter production at some point down the road, if he does everything right, but it's not like this overpowering arsenal where you can kind of envision him or project him doing that. Um, you know, if everything goes normal and the fact that he, you know, sprained his elbow in June of 2018 and went through TJ in April of 2019. A little bit took away the idea that everything would work out perfectly or the fact that, you know, his, he having this ideal starter frame was going to inoculate him from the health concerns that, you know, most starting pitchers have uh, because he's not a flamethrower or some reason like that. So he, he's shown some cracks in the armor. He's, uh, you know, had some nights in his rookie year especially in September where the control started to waver a bit more and that's not characteristic of him given the strike throwing so it's not like he doesn't perfectly live up to his romantic ideal all the times but I think Texas is certainly a situation where they should absolutely give him 30 starts and let him run and and see how good he can be because they should have all the reason to be patient to see if he can tap into that you know higher end um, upside of that you know was what made him a first round pick uh, you know I want to say five years now you can get much more from the winter meetings from James and Levi at The Athletic and go to The Athletic's new headlines section for much more on this story. To get access to all The Athletic's great sports content, visit theathletic.com slash headline pod. Right now, if you gift a subscription, you get a subscription between now and the holidays. 